Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host of the most, Shanna. Hello. That's what you get. This puck what, PJ? <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and stare <laughs> at you until you talk. All right. Welcome back to our second episode of the 2024 year here. I first want to say thank you for all the birthday well wishes and the presents. Our... um. Eastern State Penitentiary expert got me an amazing present. She got me a mug that says, I'll never ghost you, with <laughs> death with coffee to put in it, which I love. Uh, and then Penny, one of our other fantastic um, friends, but also just gift giver. She, the one who got you the injured. Yeah, the uh, Mothman squishy. Yes. She got me a Puxatani Phil squishy. It's a little, it's a little ground. Wait, where's that? Is that in it's your? It's upstairs. Really? I haven't had a chance to show you. It's been kind of busy this weekend. So I have a. Yeah, well, we only live together. Yeah, well, our, our paths just don't cross anymore. <laughs> we just roll on by. <laughs> well, I, I'll bring in the foot. Yep. <laughs> so I have a stuffed animal. Then I'm just like, a groundhog, and I'm just like. Because she was laughing over our episode about it. And then she got me a daily calendar of ghost stories or like ghost facts. So, Oh, that's cool. Yes. So I went through January 1st through the 12th on Friday and my students and I enjoyed getting caught up. So thank you guys for the presence. Really appreciate it. And thank you to my husband for being wonderful and making me a birthday cake. Getting me (laughs) lots of presents. So PJ... Tonight, we are here to tell scary stories. Really? Real scary stories. Re- we, we had this conversation before, so the others were fake? Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we determined that some of them we just didn't believe, but... Well, because this story is called True Stories Collected, but it's unexplained mysteries and scary stories, so yeah. that's why. So... I would like to start off with two different scary stories out of this book because one is a connection to a previous episode that we had done. Okay. We had once talked about the Wapsonic Mountain and the story of the ghostly driver. She's a lady in white. Oh. And you pick her up and she's like looking for her husband and she's just not there anymore. Remember that story? It was pretty recent, yeah. Yes. Well, there's a story out of this book. At least it feels recent. Because you're always with me. And yet you didn't tell me about Punxsutawney Phil. He's in the bag upstairs. <laughs> I also have all red M&Ms. Why? Penny wanted to have a color-coded birthday. I didn't tell you about that because I'm hiding them for myself. <laughs> I, can honestly I mean, say. I, don't, I don't know. You would eat them. You like M&Ms. Yeah, but I'm not going to take them from you. Uh, Alex would. Alex would. So. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm using the book Pennsylvania's Unexplained Mysteries, Ghosts, UFOs, Cryptids, and more. True stories collected by Tony Urban for these stories. Okay. So again, the first one is actually called Haunted Hike on Wapsie Mountain because we might call it, you know, Wapsie Mountain, but they just call it Wapsie Mountain. Is your my book? There it is. Some mud mortars is there. Wow. Okay. So it's by Wanda Chambliss or Chambliss. It's a C-H, so it could be Chambliss. She's from Altoona. Okay. Cool. All right. So she said, one spring, after the snow finally got around to melting off, my best friend and I decided to do a weekend hike and camp on Wapsahonic Mountain in Altoona. Or, as anyone from that area calls it, Wapsie Mountain. 
We'd heard that the mountain was haunted, and that was part of the appeal for me. That stuff fascinates me. Plus, it's a beautiful location, so even without any ghosts, it was bound to be a nice weekend. We were hiking a trail off Lookout Road and made camp for the night. Now, that's, of course, the road that they oh, see. Yeah. Yes. I scrambled together some sticks and twigs, which my friend used to start a campfire. We roasted a couple of hot dogs and just enjoyed the scenery and nature. It was a fine evening. I woke up around midnight having to pee. That's the worst part about camping. So I fumbled around in the tent until I found a flashlight and the roll of toilet paper we'd brought, then headed into the night. I was squatting behind a tree and, thank goodness I had my pants down when I saw what I believed to be a ghost. A white shape, probably four feet high, drifted through the trees. It looked like a small floating cloud bank, but it had substance to it. When it brushed by a small sapling, the thin little branches on the sapling moved just like someone had pushed it aside with their fingers. I lost sight of it as it moved through the trees and hurried to finish my business as quick as possible. But by the time I was zipped up and went exploring, it was gone. Nothing else happened during the weekend, but afterward I did some reading and found out about the White Lady of Wapsie Mountain, and I believe that's what I saw. So... How do you feel about that? And I'm going to stop there because we already know the story about the, the married couple. So she tells the actual background of the lady in white. Yeah. But can you imagine? I mean, I, I used to, like, I would have put more stock in that until, and we posted it to our Facebook page about a month or two ago now, mm-hmm. where that the whole idea of translucent ghosts is a modern belief yeah. because of the magic trick. Um and you've had, if anyone who's been to Haunted Mansion, you've seen that magic trick where you can make something solid look see-through and ghostly uh, with just some mirrors and a projector and things like that. Um, and so whenever someone says they've seen a ghost and it was like see-through and everything, they're probably lying because <laughs> that is, that's a modern thing brought on by magicians. Um, yeah. All the ghosts we've seen were solid, you know, either shadow figures, which again, not see-through. Or an actual solid body, you know? Yeah, well, I was trying to think, I'm like, everything that I saw, I definitely saw things that were solid. Yeah, so. yeah. So when someone says they've seen something like that, it's like, mm, no, okay. Like, you probably just saw some fog and, like, it was, you know, a wind gust or something. You don't know. No, I didn't. The book is called Unexplained Mysteries. There you go. <laughs> I'm sticking up for her. Okay. 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 Jeez. But it's still kind of a cool story. This is a cool story. And I would definitely freak out if I had seen that. Like, not going to lie. I, was... <laughs> I see my pants. Oh, the pants were down. We're good. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing she says that's the worst part about camping. Not for guys. <sighs> you got to bring that up, don't you? <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. Listeners. Tim gets it. He's listening. He understands. Yeah. See, listeners, we actually once had this conversation, well, multiple times, I have complained. It's just not fair because guys can go out. They have to go to the bathroom. You run outside. You go do it on a tree. Back when I lived in the country, I was always, I was the only girl in a pack of boys up in that mountain farm area in rural Pennsylvania. And if the boys had to go out in the woods, they would just all pick a tree and they'd hang out and they'd pee together. And I couldn't do that because I just wasn't cool enough. I had to squat somewhere. No, I would just hold it till I got home. Because you can't just squat. You have to wipe, too. And guess what? You don't bring stuff with you. Yeah. I'm done now. And I'm not going to cut that. You know what? We're going to have my rant. 
on this week's episode, because I think that's a scary story too for girls. Because if you do squat, you got to make sure you're not hitting your feet. Yeah. Anyway. At least like for professional dress, like for teachers, you don't have to tuck your shirt in. When it's summertime, you can actually wear like skirts and stuff where you're not forced to wear pants. So like there's a little bit of, it's something. It's not the same. Thanks, PJ. It's not the same, but it's something. I'll take it. I'll just tell you a different scary story. I'm ready. This one's called Uninvited Visitor. All right. Already I'm not a fan. So <laughs> it's actually like a. Because this like hits close, you know, like this is already like hits close to home because that's, you know, how we felt all the time. Like someone was in the house and we didn't want them in here. Well, and this is like a, this would really scare the crap out of me. So this is by Scott Nightingale from Somerset. He said, this is an absolutely true story, and I can remember it as if it just happened last night, even though it's been over 40 years. On a quiet, snowy evening, I became a a believer in ghosts. My wife and I married in 1976 and secured a unit in a brick apartment building across from the Somerset football field not long afterwards. The units were all brand new, and families were moving in as soon as each were finished. Construction workers were still in the process of installing wiring, lighting, cabinets, painting, and carpeting when we were permitted to move into our apartment. Custer Realty managed the apartments, the manager graduating one year before me from the Somerset Area High School. It was explained to us that we could move in, but there may be the need for construction workers to have access to our apartment when we weren't home, and the manager told us that he had a pass key to our apartment. He asked our permission to allow the workers to enter our dwelling only if the construction workers needed inside to continue to finish our other apartments. Of course, we had given our approval, so excited to move into our first home. On the night of our experience, my wife Lisa and I had gone to bed in the bedroom facing the street. Light from the street lamp spilled through the thin window shears, lighting up the room to the point where it wasn't much dimmer than daytime. We weren't in bed long at all, with not a chance to even fall asleep, when my wife said, did you hear that? I nodded. Yes. She said, it sounds like someone is trying to get into our apartment. I agreed and told her to be quiet and lay still. The noise we both heard was the sound of the doorknob being turned back and forth. I don't know why I didn't get up and investigate right away. I guess I thought it would be the apartment manager, but that late at night? My wife was snuggled up close to me with her head on my shoulder. We remained quiet and still. What I'm about to tell you is exactly what my wife saw and remembers to this day. We both saw the exact same thing. With the room lit from the streetlight, a man walked ever so slowly into our bedroom. When he first entered the room, I whispered into my wife's ear, There he is. As she shushed me, he continued in, stopping at the foot of our bed. Then he turned to face us. We could not see through him, as you might expect from a ghost or a spirit. Aha! Uh-huh. I figured you'd catch that right away, yeah. (laughs) He looked like a real man with a long coat, and he wore what looked to be a Stetson hat. His arms hung at his sides in a non-threatening manner. He stood there staring at us for maybe a minute, but it felt much longer. He then slowly turned towards our bedroom door and exited as slowly as he entered. You could see from our bedroom door through the hallway into the living room and to the only door to our apartment on the second floor. I allowed the man to get what I thought to be the, at most, maybe 10 feet from our bedroom, when I jumped up and turned on the light as I moved to chase after him. I wanted to know who in the God's name was in the apartment, but he was nowhere to be seen. 
All through this, I could see the apartment door, and it never opened. There was no new sound of a door opening or any other sound. When we slowly walked through the apartment, calling out who's there, there was no response. My wife was right up against me, following me through the apartment as I checked in closets, in the bathroom, and behind things. Nothing. And we both saw the exact same thing and realized that it would have been impossible for him to get out as quick as I turned on the light. I will always remember this evening. The strange thing is, after this, I don't remember my wife Lisa or myself being afraid that he might appear again. I don't think we actually brought it up often while we lived there. Over the years, I told this story to many people, and the story doesn't change because it is absolutely true. So there huh. you go. Yeah. There's more to the story, but that was the, the big crux of it. Yeah. So he was solid. That mess. Yeah, that's that's messed up. I don't like that at all. And thing is, like, it's a new apartment, which yeah. that like that bothers me because it's like, okay, if it's a residual haunt, they would, you know, I can see. Well, we've had doors open and close mm-hmm. inexplicably in this house. You know, you had that whole basement door, uh, front door thing with Dan. Yeah. But just like something just walks in your house, checks you, out, and then leaves. I don't know. It freaks me out. And that it messed with the doorknob first and things like that. Which, if they heard the doorknob and then someone's in the house, wouldn't you think, like, someone's in the house and you try to take them down? Yeah. Why why would they? I think it's because they were young and, you know, they're in the bed. I think it was more just like they were frozen in fear, you know? So, I mean, because first, like, there's no way our door is locked. And if anybody comes in, it's going to be the construction workers, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It freaks me out. That one's cool. Yeah, that, that was a good really one. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, I thought we'd start off with a little scary story. But tonight we're here to discuss Fort Mifflin. Okay. All right. My references tonight include a couple things. So my online references are phillyvoice.com, weirdus, Atlas Obscura, and Ghost City Tours. And those are all dot coms. I love Atlas Obscura. Me too. I yeah. just, I'm obsessed with it. Then I have print references. Well, obviously, we just read out of Unexplained, but we're done with that one. So I have Ghost Hunting Pennsylvania by Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and then Philadelphia Haunts, Eastern State Penitentiary, Fort Mifflin, and Other Ghostly Sites by Catherine Driver. Okay. Cool. So is this like in Mifflinville or? No. It's in Mifflin. We're going to go over why it's called that. Okay. Okay. It's in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. And I do want to say, I noticed this today and it really bothers me. Catherine Driver, if you're listening, um, your Philadelphia Haunts book has a typo on the front. <laughs> just, we uh, both noticed it pretty quickly, too. My my English teacher heart is driving me nuts. You have penitentiary spelled wrong. So I would complain to the person who published this for you, which is Schiff, Schiffer? Schiffer Publishing. Yeah. Mm, someone's not doing their job. That's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I don't think that was her choice because the inside cover is spelled correctly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, she does all this research. There's no way she got the inside. She got, like, all this wrong. There's because... no way she spelled penitentiary yeah. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mouthful as it is. Yeah. Schiffler Publishing LTD. It's on Lower Valley Road in Atglin, PA. Yeah, but yeah, like the inside here, penitentiary spelled correctly, as you said. So I just, this is their fault. I'm going to yeah. send a, a letter to the editor. All right. Anyway, <laughs> this is an annoyed English teacher. 
So anyway, Fort Mifflin is one of the last surviving Revolutionary War battlefields. And it's named, oh. yes, after Commandant Thomas Mifflin. She old. Yeah. <laughs> older than me. <laughs> I'm older than you. I'll always hold it over your head. Okay. By three weeks? Three yeah, weeks? three weeks. Yep. All right. It's almost Puckwa PJ's birthday. Woo. This is my time. You woohoo later. Woo. Mm. Okay. Woohoo. <laughs> 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 my voice still hurts. I can't go that high yet. <laughs> All right, so first off, let's discuss the history, because this is a haunted podcast, so history makes sense. You know me. Um, so it is sometimes called the Fort That Saved America, which is kind of fun. All right. Yeah, here in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania rocks. I it, mean, we've been essential to a lot of things in terms of, like... We are the Keystone State. Yeah. <laughs> which I discussed with my students about Gettysburg and how that was just so important. Moving on. That's a whole different podcast. Or episode, not podcast. Episode. Five episodes. Series, Yes. So, ironically, this fort was built by the British in 1771 <laughs> to 1772, and it was to protect the wealthy colonial city of Philadelphia. Um, America took it when the revolution started to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so when it happened, we claimed the fort as our own, and we completed the construction. I just think the irony is hilarious. Like, you built this, it's ours now, and we're going <laughs> to kick you out. So General George Washington recognized that um, the fort was obviously very important because if he disrupted the supply route for the British Army occupying Philadelphia, it would really crush their campaign. Oh, yeah. Yes. So with that being said, in 1777, he ordered a garrison and he wanted to really protect this little fort. And he told them, hold it to the last extremity as they faced off against what would have been the mightiest navy of the 18th century. Wow. Poor Fort Mifflin yeah. and all the men there. Poor so, limbs. Poor. <laughs> the fort was used to hold off the British fleet after Washington's army was defeated at Brandywine. Uh, they fought off the British so American soldiers could flee to safety, actually, to train and rebuild their force. So um, some men were actually, they sacrificed their lives on purpose in the fort, um, just so everyone else could get away. So nearly 250 men, almost 70% of the crew stationed, were killed or wounded in musket fire and explosion. So yes, their limbs. <sighs> I don't know it's how the you, last extremity. I don't understand how you just call these things, even if you're making a dad joke. It's a gift. I, yeah, um, you've not seen the scripts I didn't share with you on purpose. And <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So, ultimately, they were surrounded on three sides and out of ammunition and black powder. So, they held it to the last extremity, but they're like, mm, we're down now. <laughs> we got to start beating people. <laughs> Give me some rocks. <laughs> uh, but anyway. So, uh, the garrison evacuated to Fort Mercer. A detail of 40 young soldiers remained behind to spike the last 10 functioning cannons and then set fire to any valuable remains. Oh, okay. Yeah. If, you, if we're going to burn it to the Scorched ground. Scorched earth. Yep. Yep. Because they figure if, you, if we can't have it, you can't have it. And you built it. So who cares? On fire. Yep. <laughs> America. Anyway, they left the distinctive 13-stripe flag flying, though, as they <laughs> as they finally rode away from the burning fort. So although defeated, Fort Mifflin never surrendered uh, officially. Mm -hmm. It burned to the ground. But, you know, General Washington used that time to establish winter quarters at Valley Forge, which we all know that story. If we don't, we'll tell in the future because, whew. 
Worst Christmas ever for the Brits. <laughs> um, and they emerged the following spring better trained and organized and with the official support of France. So Fort Mifflin was important to get us over that river and through the woods to Valley Forge. We go. So anyway, much of the fort was dismantled when the British took control of it, but it was rebuilt in 1798 under orders from President John Adams hmm. because it was obviously important. It was rebuilt as part of the first and second systems of seacoast fortifications, and it answered every call to service over three centuries. That's cool. Right? Yeah. As such, one visit to Fort Mifflin lets you stand on the Revolutionary War battlefield, a Civil War prison, and on the side of a home front defense in World War II. Huh. Like I said, she old. So for the Civil War... This is by far the more, most gruesome of the stories. Um, you've heard about the prisons that existed during Civil War. Oh, yeah. It comes from here. Like, I'm pretty, like, I, I don't know that for a fact, but this place, whew, this has to be like where we've heard most of our stories from, because my goodness. Okay. All right. So the fort was active in 1863, which was year of Gettysburg, to mm -hmm. put in context. Um, but this time, as a military prison, there was a breakdown in prisoner ex exchanges which meant that both sides would hold onto thousands of prisoners and stuff them into any available contained building. Not a great time. Yeah. Did not end well. So yeah. throughout the war, 56,000 prisoners died due to unsanitary conditions, overcrowding, and a lack of food and water. Yikes. Yeah, to put in numbers there. That is, if I do math quickly, about the number of men who died in Gettysburg over that three-day battle. Yeah. Yeah. We said that was a slaughter fest. Side note, you hear about the prison in Mississippi? No. They found like, I think it was a couple hundred unmarked graves in the I'm back, not out back of the prison. I'm not this surprised. just happened. How old is the unmarked grave? Uh, I think they're pretty recent, but I don't know. I I didn't like get a chance to read the the article yet. I only Ugh. just stumbled upon it. Ugh. See, sometimes I want to read about that, but I'm also I know, like, yeah. I don't want to think about modern cruelty. It just breaks my heart. But I'll read it anyway. All right. In <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Fort Mifflin, prisoners were held in the three largest bombproof shelters. Uh, but they may be the largest. Doesn't mean they're actually big. Mm -hmm. So a letter from a prisoner published in the Cincinnati Inquirer in 1864 described the conditions of this fort. He said... The cell at this time is dripping with water from the arch over us. Even the sides are all wet. The soundest old man living could not remain in here without becoming injured in health, much less weakly old men, as many of us are. We have done nothing to deserve such punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Forty-five prisoners were jammed into a cell that was about 50 by 80 feet. Not a lot. Wait, how many were in that? 45 prisoners. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Sardines. It was so dark that even in daylight, nothing could be seen without a candle. There were no beds or cots, and prisoners would lay on boards. They were fed only pork, bread, and beef, but the meat was often spoiled, which would cause disease and digestive issues. The men would have to release their bowels in mm. the same room that they were kept in. It's believed that the prisoners' inhumane conditions at the time of death hindered them from crossing over, so their souls were left to wander Fort Mifflin aimlessly for eternity. You'll see a lot of men in Civil War gear, uh, yeah. or like, you know, cleaning their guns yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, when, you, when they talk about ghosts, you see a lot of Civil War era outfits on them. 
Wow. So then in 1915, the War Department declared Fort Mifflin a National Historic Monument, which is 50 years after they have been abusing people. Like they're, Wow. I just if, I like to put things in context, you know. During World War One, it served as an ammunition depot. After mm-hmm. the war, the community was uncomfortable with the ammunition being stored so close to the neighborhoods, so the fort was empty by 1929. But then during World War II, the fort housed several anti-aircraft guns. And then in 1954, it was decommissioned after 183 years of service. The U.S. Department of the Interior named Fort Mifflin a historical landmark in 1970. So that's the background. This puppy literally is as old as our nation. Yeah. So is it haunted? With that age to it and that history, I mean, yeah. What's the evidence here? My answer is yuppers. Yep. (laughs) Sure is. Scientific. Yeah, sure (laughs) is. Um, So, yeah, because of, as you mentioned, the hardship suffered there, the fort um, is probably the most haunted location in the country or one of the most i know we've said there'd be a couple of times people say like this is the most lo- like lo- like haunted location mm-hmm. but this one i mean it's just the amount of stories that come out of it it definitely has to be on like your bucket list to go to so we need to go there because a side note your father got me a present that is haunted locations in pennsylvania and it's a journal yeah. to mention all the places you've gone to and things that you saw so we's going there we're taking laura and ray excellent Maybe we'll take Carrie, too. She has to expand from ESP, you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) we'll we'll hit up ESP, and then we'll go to Fort Mifflin. Take the kids, too. Carrie, I know you're listening. We just won't take Alex because he'll be a nightmare. We'll leave him with Daw. But everyone else can go. All right. So anyway, paranormal investigators say Fort Mifflin is one of the most haunted places in the world. In an interview with CBS3 in Philadelphia, employee Lorraine Donahue Irby said Fort Mifflin is definitely haunted. So she said, it doesn't matter where you are or what part of the fort you're in. They don't come on demand, but people have experiences morning, noon, and night. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. So we don't have to be there at midnight. We can be there at 9 o'clock in the morning. This is like Hillview. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The abandoned fort has sent home overnight ghost hunters running in the middle of the night. So that's Mm. pretty cool. Teams have captured orbs of light floating with their camera, gotten glimpses of apparitions behind door frames, and recorded disembodied voices. Visitors who explore the fort often see soldiers cleaning their guns, even when no historical actors are present. Many will catch a whiff of a mysterious aroma like bread baking or a wood fire. An unexplained noise that sounds like a woman's scream fills the air unexpectedly at all hours of the day. So you can hear that when you're walking around. Dang. Yeah. Some visitors even claim to have been touched, pushed, and pulled by phantom hands. Near the blacksmith shop, the rhythmic clashing of a hammer against an anvil uh, often sounds out, only to be silenced when people come by to peer into the empty but slightly echoing room. It's like, mm. cool. All right. So that's just the background. So I decided to break it down to the most noted ghosts that are there. Because you can hear lots of things from anvils to you can hear guns going off. Obviously, people are shouting for, you know, for reinforcements. Mm-hmm. There's the usual like historic sounds that you think you would hear, the residual haunt, if you will. Yeah. But there are a couple of regulars, if you will. The first one is on the second floor balcony because the place is beautiful. Okay. I mean, it's been, you know, 
recreated and um, rebuilt and whatnot. Yeah. So there is a second floor balcony of the barracks. And at night, you can see sometimes the spirit of the lamplighter. It's just a residual. Oh. Yeah, it's just a residual haunt. The man um, is the one who must have lit the lamps every evening. And though he's pale and barely discernible as a figure in the twilight, you can see he's carrying a long pole with a dimly flickering light on the end. Hmm. Yep. So this is where I'm going to go into the books for two seconds and then go back to my script because I want to read Guy Lee's mini stories about it. And so then according to Rosemary Guy Lee and Ghost Hunting Pennsylvania, there's other ghosts. For example, she says... Casement 1 once held 200 Confederate prisoners in extremely cramped conditions. EVP have captured a man's voice identifying himself as Michael. Michael seems friendly and likes the visitors who come to the fort. Witnesses have seen one of the bunks move by itself. In Casement 4, a presence makes attacks on blonde women. Victims feel pinched and grabbed and experience unpleasant sensations. And so... I, and that was mentioned across the board, like on different websites too. I wonder why it's blondes and nothing else. Yeah. But now I want to go in there. I'll take one for the team. <laughs> I got this. Send me in, coach. In the blacksmith shop, again, you could hear the sounds, but it's the ghost of Jacob, the blacksmith, and he's been seen. He preferred the back door of his shop to be left open, which was not allowed. There have been problems with the door remaining shut ever since, even when it's locked. Finally, the door was removed because the constant opening was breaking the hinges. People have reported seeing the tools move slightly as if on their own. Pretty neat. That is cool. In the powder magazine, some people have sensed a negative presence and they feel watched. A strange mist has been photographed there and shadowy forms have been seen moving about. The silhouette of a soldier has been seen in the doorway as though someone is still standing guard. EVP recordings have captured odd sounds like get, like anvils clanging together. And then what's really creepy is in the artillery shed, there's the voice of a ghostly little girl calling out for help. Huh. Why would there be a little girl? So there's a reason for it. Okay. Um, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, they're not really sure who she is, but there are stories about her across the board, this little girl. So if you go near the commandant's house, then, there's the voice of a little girl who's crying out mommy in a long wail. It's believed she might be the victim of the typhoid fever epidemic in the early 18th century. So that's the assumption. But why would she be in the fort? Did I miss that? Um, because of a typhoid fever epidemic. And if you're a commandant, mm. you could have your wife and children there. I guess. Yeah. Um, so with that being said... There is a similar story of um, a little girl for Catherine Driver because she is a paranormal investigator. Like, that's what she does. And so she talks about the time that she went there like one time mm -hmm. and what she saw. So she calls this section out of her book um, an earlier visit. The first time I ever went to Fort Mifflin was about 10 years ago. My boyfriend at the time thought it would be fun. I thought it sounded cool, too, so we found ourselves wandering around this historic masterpiece and checking everything out. I was bewildered to keep seeing this adorable little girl in an old-fashioned dress with these beautiful ribbons. I told her to be careful on the hill. There was a sign there that warned visitors to stay off the magazines, and I wanted her to tell me where her parents were so I could help her. She just smiled and giggled and tossed her curly blonde hair. I said to my boyfriend that I was concerned that this girl's parents... This little girl's pissing me off here. No, she's not. She didn't say a cat. Get off of it. 
<laughs> she didn't say it that way. This is supposed to be a spooky podcast. Hey! <laughs> For our kids. Oh, whatever. I don't care. Uh, anyway. I said to my boyfriend that I was concerned that the girl's parents weren't paying attention to her. My boyfriend kept looking around and replied, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see the girl you're describing. I stammered and pointed. He grabbed my hand and we left immediately. Much to my frustration and dismay, I was not able to find her parents. He was not able to see the girl, much less the parents. So ten years later, she returns, hoping that she'll actually see this girl again. Yeah. But can you imagine, like, knock it off. <laughs> Be careful. Oh, it's the ghost. Yeah. So, like the number of times that we've been like, "Where's this kid's parents right now?" <laughs> we know? probably and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what you need. So then, <laughs> I swear, I'm gonna kill this kid. <laughs> <laughs> These parents don't show up. I swear. Anyway, oh, whoops. <laughs> the next one. Now, this one is the longest section that I have because I just wanted to focus on it, like really, really. Well, all right. So I have the faceless man, and then I have um, the screaming lady, if you will. Um, so the screaming lady is a really short story, but I figured we finish up with that because I really want to focus on the faceless man because it kind of reminds me of Eastern is State. It a man, it could be. Mm. No, it definitely does, is. Does he have a face? No, that's why he's. Would you pay attention? Faceless. <laughs> look at look at your suffixes. Less. <sighs> Anyway, so remember how we said in Eastern State um, how they put the bags over your head Mm -hmm. when you walked in? Yeah. So keep that in mind of, like, like hooding a person. Okay. Okay. According to phillyvoice.com, William H. Howe climbed the gallows at Fort Mifflin on the afternoon of August 26th, 1864, looking out into a crowd of spectators gathered to watch his execution. Hugh had been a private in the Union Army known for his, quote, cheerfulness and alacrity. According to historical documents, Howe was a 25-year-old German farmer who joined the Union Army. Known as a great marksman, he won accolades for his bravery in Fredericksburg, determined to stay on the battlefield day and night. His friends were impressed with his personal courage and indomitable will. He was particularly lauded for his bravery at the Battle of Fredericksburg, as I mentioned, where he remained on the field after his regiment left. But now his army wanted to make an example of him for a deserting, and then possibly, allegedly, killing an officer during his apprehension. His execution would be the only public hanging at the Philadelphia Fort during the Civil War. Hmm. According to reports from the time, Howe died shortly after 12 p.m., quote, almost without a struggle. His body was then taken from the grounds and returned to his widow, but the legend is the soldier never actually left Philadelphia's famously haunted fort. Believers claim he is the faceless man, an apparition who has appeared in the same cell where Howe was once held. As the story goes, the ghost's face is missing because a bag was placed over Howe's head before his execution. So very similar to ESP. Uh, well, yeah, that was pretty common yeah, for was, hanging. Yeah. So. Well, because of what you look like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. You're dead. No one wants to see that. Yeah. But that's the idea of like why you see him as faceless because he had the bag on his head. Makes sense. Yeah. So Greg O'Brien, um, I quote him a couple times where he tells parts of the story. He's a paranormal host at Fort Mifflin. He said, I think he's not at rest because he was made an example of. He was paraded around and I think he was just embarrassed. 
I think that's what bothers him and why he still roams the grounds. O'Brien insists Howe's lingering spirit is neither demonic nor hostile, but simply unhappy over his fate. And uh, from what I've seen from my research, he had good reason to be. Some historians now argue that Howe was unfairly maligned as a deserter and murderer, as he never intended to commit either of those crimes. He was Mm. just labeled that way. Uh, Because he left his regiment behind in Virginia in December of 1862 because he was suffering from severe bowel inflammation, which we now, you know, call Uh, dysentery. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the Evening Telegraph reported at that time period that there was no access to doctors or medicine. So he went looking for one and then went home to get healthy. So here's an interesting side note for dysentery. The disease eventually became the number one killer of all Civil War soldiers. It caused uncontrollable bloody diarrhea, and in some cases it would get so severe that its victims would die from dehydration. So anyway, the regimental hospital had burned down, the one he was supposed to go to. So he oh, and geez. yeah, so he and quote some twenty others set out for hospitals in Washington D.C. Howe didn't find any or enough adequate medical attention, so he just kept walking and returned to his home in Montgomery County to recuperate. Again, there was no hospital to be had, so yeah. he's like, okay, I guess I'll go home. So he thought, how do I fix this? Oh, boy. He was bedridden for months with his dysentery. While he was recovering, though, desertion became such a concern for the Union that President Abraham Lincoln issued a warning. All soldiers absent without leave could return to their regiments without punishment, apart from forfeited pay, by April 1st, 1863. So, Right before Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. But anyone who did not report by that date would be, quote, arrested as deserters and punished as the law provides. Um, just another fun fact, because I was digging around. Over 200,000 men would desert the army before the war was over. So this would explain the dire need for men to return <laughs> and return quickly. <laughs> How writes and like, dear Commandant, I would love to join. <laughs> However... <laughs> I am stuck here in my bedpan. <laughs> so anyway, it would also explain why when Howe asks for mercy, no mercy comes. Because, you know, it was bad. Yeah. And it's probably why he was executed to, you know, teach everyone a lesson. So so that's the background of what was going on. So the poor guy is just really, really sick with dysentery. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So according to Fort Mifflin's records of his trial, how panicked. In a letter to Lincoln, he explained that he was scared to return. However... He was found. Um, and not so great. His enrolling officer came looking for him, but the officer's intentions uh, seem questionable at best. According to historical accounts, the officer and three other men showed up at Howe's house drunk at midnight to fetch him. Howe's wife, Hannah, answered their knock at the door but would not let the men in. Now, this is where their accounts begin to differ. The arresting officers claim that Howe shot at them first. Howe said that they fired two shots at him as soon as he peered out the window. Hmm. In either case, Howe opened fire and struck one of the officers, um, which happened to be the commanding officer, Abraham Bertolet, shot him in the chest and killed him. As wow. A, yeah. <laughs> Remember, he was an excellent <laughs> marksman, which is also like, did he do it on purpose? Yeah, or he's right. just kind of like aiming at the group. As this occurred in the middle of the night, only Howe's and the officers were witness to the skirmish. So Howe was arrested and imprisoned in what, by fun fact, Eastern State Penitentiary, which was where he was imprisoned. Oh, jeez. Yes. During his trial before being sentenced to death, he was granted a stay of execution as he pleaded for mercy. 
So again, he wrote to Abraham Lincoln for help. The mercy never came. Hmm. Lincoln's like, nope, kill him. So we look at Lincoln being a good guy, but uh, how here? Yeah. Hmm. He had bigger things on his mind. <laughs> We're losing badly. <laughs> January tw- or June 28th, I'm going to make Meade my general. And three days later, Gettysburg's going to happen. So yeah, right. things are going. Yeah, things are going. So anyway, in testimony, the other two officers painted Howe as this horrible aggressor. And they even made these, like, suggestions that uh, some of the neighbors had offered him $5 for every abolitionist he would shoot. The, the guy's a union Dang. officer, so, like, I don't see him shooting abolitionists. Back then, that was mad money. I know. Was- <laughs> but one of those neighbors um, countered the officers. He's like, dude, you seem drunk, like, during all of this and out in the aftermath. So, no, 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 no. So, again, how is like, strung up for... Just to begin, like, to be made um, an example of. So he was convicted and sentenced to death. Uh, before his punishment was handed down, he attempted to tunnel out of Fort Mifflin to freedom, but he was caught and placed in solitary confinement in the forest casement number 11, an underground bomb shelter that O'Brien describes as basically a hole in the ground. Some 90 troops arrived via tugboat that morning to witness his hanging, according to the Evening Telegraph, and um, absorbed the government's loud and clear message about desertion. Before his death, Howe told his onlookers this, though. And this, I think, showcases that he was a good guy. So he said to the group, or to, like, you know, the people watching the him as yeah. he's already about to die. He said, As I have but little to leave my dear children, but my record and good name as a soldier, I feel it a duty I owe to them to state now that I never sought the life of the man I killed and never wished it. And I feel God will pardon me for taking it as I did. And I know my fellow soldiers and officers in the army never blamed me for leaving, as I was an invalid and had no hospital to go to in my regiment. Now that I am about to leave this life, I commend my wife and little ones to the charity of the world, and as a last request, I ask the pardon of those whom I may have injured, and hope they will forgive me and pray for my soul. Wow. Sorry I shot you. <laughs> I didn't do it. It was an accident. God would forgive me. And you're killing me for no reason. So now yeah. my wife and children are going to be like living off the charity of people around them. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. So anyway, um, he may or may not be the faceless man because there were lots of other men that mm-hmm. died there. Um, but the specter of how has shown up in other ways. So they know that he is there because he was a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, O'Brien had said, we have a tour guide who was in Civil War attire with a big hoop skirt. And as she was walking down the stairs to Casement 11, she had an arm helper with her elbow going down the stairs when no one was next to her. So I'm assuming it was William Howe escorting her down. Huh. Yeah, isn't that nice? And so Guiley also has a message or like a reference about him in her book. And so she said, the faceless man appears in Casement 5. He is thought to be the ghost of Billy Howe, as I mentioned already. Um, It says, Billy is seen sewing in the casement, a black hole where his facial features should be. A tall male form, about six feet, two inches, dressed in a sloppy coat, has been photographed in Casement 5 by at least two persons. In both photos, the figure has no face. The faceless man seems mean and mocking, according to some of the visitors. But that's not how he was, you know, discussed, you know, in any other way. Mm -hmm. So... I, I'm not sure if they have someone different as they're talking about, but they do say in Casement 11, they also feel his presence. 
So, but huh. Dean sewing, which is interesting. Yeah. So, shall we finish up with the screaming lady? I'm ready. Okay. I'm, I'm looking for a picture of, you know, one of these pictures, but there aren't any of the faceless man sewing in case. Uh, apparently, alone. if you go there, they have stuff. Remember how we went to um, Gettysburg and they have pictures? Like, they have all those yeah, pictures all yeah. over. Yeah, Like, send so, us your pictures and we'll post, post them up. Them, yeah. yeah. So, I think that's kind of what happens there. Probably. But there are videos. And if you go on YouTube, there's people there, like, doing... Because you can do nighttime um, investigations. They still have that open. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So, Screaming Lady. She is the loudest of the ghosts. No surprise. You can hear her <laughs> day and night. Okay. Um, so, you can hear her wails from an old officer's quarters. Um, and she appears to be living out her eternity. Um, so there's a story. All right. So this is where I just, I'm going to read the story and then we're going to talk about it. All right. So she appears to be living out an eternity of regret for disowning her daughter. She is supposedly the soul of Elizabeth Pratt, an 18th century neighbor of the fort whose daughter took up with an officer. Elizabeth renounced and threw out her daughter who died shortly after from dysentery. Seriously, the dysentery. Consumed with guilt at consigning her daughter to this fate, the story goes that she took her own life. Okay. So that's the story of the willing lady. I disagree with that. Okay. Yeah, okay. So from Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who, again, like, she did all of her research, she said, The screaming woman is encountered in the officer's quarters. Her identity is debated, and the original legend about her has been debunked. The prevailing story holds that she is Elizabeth Pratt, who was married to an officer and lived in the officer's quarters. Darwin married, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that it has been debunked. All right. Yep. The real Elizabeth was married to a sergeant, not an officer, and would not have lived in the officer's quarters. Instead, she and her husband lived in a shack in the back of the fort. Elizabeth died in 1803, along with her infant daughter, of typhoid fever. Okay. So if anything... That's where the little girl comes from. Yeah. And then she'd be back there with that. So who is the screaming woman? Nobody knows. Hmm. Boogie, boogie, boogie. But scream, she does. So the Lorraine, the person I mentioned, she's one of the workers there, mm-hmm. heard the screaming one night. She was asleep but awakened by a horrible scream. Her first thought was that one of the nocturnal ghost hunting visitors was in trouble. She ran outside and saw two visitors sitting on the porch of the officer's quarters, talking as though nothing had happened. Did you hear that scream, she asked them. They shook their heads. They had not heard a thing. What I heard sounded like a younger woman in her 20s, Lorraine told us. Other employees have heard the same sounds. So on one investigation, um, John Zaffis was in Elizabeth's room with one other person. Around three or four in the morning, they suddenly heard the sounds of a man and woman arguing. The voices were muffled and the words could not be distinguished. The voices went back and forth for about five minutes, and at the same time, we smelled a heavy scent of perfume mixed with talcum powder. It reminded me of something a grandmother would wear, uh, reports Zaphis. And so then Lorraine also one time smelled it, and she saw a shadowy figure in the room, and she felt a very deep, like, you know, chill in that area. Um, She did say that one year, they do have, like, an actress who, like, will play Elizabeth and her daughter sitting at a table. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it says here, at Halloween, costumed reenactors stage dramas for entertainment. One year, the actresses playing Elizabeth and her daughter were sitting at a table in the officer's quarters when the glass globe of one of the oil lamps detached itself and rolled off, but it did not break. Hmm. 
Now, to quote Lorraine, she said, they would not come in here the rest of the night. (laughs) (laughs) And EVPs had been recorded in the quarters, including a male voice that orders all people to get out. Wow. So... Um, so if you read the story that the screaming woman or lady is Elizabeth Pratt, that is not the person. It can't be. Yeah. But there is a screaming lady and scream. She does a lot day and night. So we got to go. Yeah. Right. So what are your thoughts, honey? How do you feel? I definitely want to visit this place. Right. I like how in our early episodes, you're all like, I'm not going to any of these places. I just want to talk about them. And now it's like, we got to go there. It's been a year. Maybe a, <laughs> what, what's the word like when you just get used to it? Desensitized. I'm desensitized. Yeah, I'm ready yeah. to go. Well, that and I think we've met a lot of friends now this past year during all of this. And uh, they all go, Carrie has some really cool stories from ESP. So maybe we could be the next Fort Mifflin people. Yeah. You know, I'll be the Fort Mifflin expert. Yeah. Carrie will have me on her future podcast. That's what's going to happen. I like it. Thank you. You know what I miss, though? Is us doing our mini series? So are is, are you hinting at something? I am. Hinting. Are we getting one going? Yes. What are we doing? I want to do. Well, and we have to bring Laura back for this because she's our rain man. <laughs> oh no! I would like to do Antietam. Antietam. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> well, because you know, I, I love talking Pens- about the Civil War prison today. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I, I, I love the Pennsylvania, but I do want to branch out a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading up my uh, story a day, creepy stories from Penny from my, you know, my calendar, I was like, oh, there's some really cool stuff around the world. So obviously I'm going to be Pennsylvania centric this year, but I do want to branch out. And Laura wants to do Antietam in the worst way. I really want to do the Enfield poltergeist at some point. But that's going to take me a while to research. research. There's a lot of documentation. I didn't realize how well documented that case was because it's it's a Warren case. So I was like, same with the Amityville. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, whatever. Uh-huh. But then I learned that there's like over a hundred audio tapes. Like this guy, this investigator recorded everything. And yeah, there's neat. yeah, there's so much to go over. And to listen to and mm. yeah, It'll be fun. Yeah, we get Lorna on the for that, and they can just respond to your creepy story. Yeah. Well, you like all the Conjuring stuff, so the A list, yes, kind of things. <laughs> well, I was just like the the whole Warrens and their stories. I'm I'm intrigued by them. People, yes. yeah. So um, I do need to get back. I know we were talking with Anthony anyway, but we have the pictures and whatnot to show those guys. So that's going to not probably won't be a whole episode because I, I can only research so much, you It'd be know, an update, It'd be an update. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to do that. But then I want to focus on Antietam because it's just a really cool story. And I feel like we should do a UFO episode. I know that we're oh, a scary I'm, stuff. I'm, I'm in. Because <laughs> there's a lot of UFOs that have been seen in Pennsylvania. There's this newest thing like down in Florida and everything. So people are seeing UFOs more and more. So I just think it might be fun to... Do a UFO story. And not to make fun of, I mean, well, no, hold on, let me rephrase To make fun of. (laughs) Yeah. um, Even though it's easy to make fun of ancient aliens, there's a lot of ancient documentation depicting spacecraft. So, you know, there's there's definitely history there we can pull from, too. Mm -hmm. 
So that would be fun. So I just feel like branching out. So we need to have our listeners chime Pre- in. Prepared. <laughs> yeah. I would like to get Tim yeah, back brace on. Brace yourselves, people. <laughs> Tim, I, I need to get some UFO stories because I want to have Tim over here talk about UFOs. I don't know why. I just I see Tim here talking about aliens. Tim, you strike <laughs> us as a UFO guy. I, I see it. I see it. You can, I hope you are. Unless he wants to come debunk them. I just, Oh, I that'd know. be fun, too. I just have this vision of him talking like going, aliens? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, listeners, yeah, if anyone else, uh, if any of you out there are... Um, Close by. Uf- ufologists. Oh, yeah, And would like to chime in, we'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to have you on, too. We're not exactly. kidding. We if you live nearby, come visit. In our basement, hiding from our children. <laughs> if you don't live near us, we'll Zoom. That's right. We yeah. will. So without further ado, though, I would like to say good night and goodbye. So do you have any updates to talk, tell our listeners before we head on out? No. Uh, people who live oh, so people who live locally, we are planning on doing another get-together like we did in August uh, at Helix Tabletop Gaming Guild. Um, so if you live nearby and want to visit, we we're going to announce it on mm-hmm. our podcast of when it happens, but it's going to be soon from what I realize, uh, from what I have heard. Uh, we're still talking with them, but um, we're, you know, so we're going to be playing some games. Uh, we'll be there to talk spooky stuff as well. Heckin' yeah. So if you're in the Bloomsburg area, Bloomsburg PA, and- feel free to stop on by. We'll, we'll post when, then we'll let you know when, you know, when that episode airs. When and we figure it out. PJ got me a new ad- expansion to my Betrayal <laughs> series. So maybe we can try that one out there because it's spooky and cool and creepy. Yeah, that's something else. Um, even though it's more of a games overboard thing, we do want to do live streams. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not a board game person, you'll still be just hanging out with us Heck for, yeah. you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So you can talk to us in the chat. We can talk back, things like that. Um so that's something we're an idea we're playing around with is we want to start doing live streams so we can chat with you and be a little more interactive. That's right. Cause you're afraid to email us. You're currently driving to work like Jackie. So you can't email us. Or you just forget to. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're listening on the show. So then you just forget when you yeah, get can, to your destination. We complain that our, our listeners don't email us, mm-hmm. but I have like 10 favorite podcasts I listen to and I've only emailed one of them. <laughs> So I'm one of those people too. Well, yeah, but a lot of our podcasts don't invite um, interaction where we, you know, we would really love it. We, you know, we, we appreciate all of you. Listeners, I don't want to talk to him. Okay, so if you could email us and... Nobody talks to me. <laughs> I was really close to your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm still practicing with these new microphones. <laughs> <Just> stop it. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot from them. Uh, you you don't eat them. You don't eat the microphone. Oh my! I'm gonna keep that in. All right. Well, in any case, have a lovely week, all of my spooky listeners. Be wonderful. Be spooky. That's not the uh, spooky. <laughs> well, I'd say think spooky thoughts, but. <laughs> Nothing scarier than PJ. So <laughs> have a lovely evening and as always, think spooky thoughts. Mm-hmm.